The opinions expressed on the ACB Media Network are those of the respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Good morning, good afternoon, depending on what part of the country you're from. My name is Peter Altschul. Uh, I am the co-chair of the Employment Committee. Uh, thank you for joining us. I'm going to um, talk a little bit about um, the Employment Committee first. Uh, we, are, uh, we are a part of ACB to address workplace issues and visual impairment, finding a job, uh, keeping a job, uh, working with employers, working with um, candidates to make the job process a little more smoothly for both groups. We have podcasts, which are now being streamed on ACB Media. Thank you so much, ACB Media. Uh, we're doing a few other things as well. I won't bore you with all that stuff. But I do want to talk about how this session came to be. This is about uh, artificial intelligence, et cetera, in the career uh, job hunt process. And this, this idea started when um, Melanie Sinohui, who's one of our um, panelists, uh, I called her to see how her job search was going, and she said, I got a job, I'm thrilled, but you won't believe what I had to do to get the job. And then she proceeded to tell me the story that was that felt like, you know, 2083 or something. It was something I never had heard before, and I thought, we need to do a session about this because this, this is what's coming. So um, uh, that's one of the panelists. The other panelist is uh, John Robinson, who runs a website for disabled people, not just blind people, among other things. And he's um, going to talk about other things about how he uses uh, artificial intelligence to help us land jobs. So, but before we do that, um, I want to um, give both Melanie and John a chance to sort of talk about what they were doing pre their, their brush with artificial intelligence. Uh, so I want to start with Melanie. Melanie, why don't you sort of tell us a bit about yourself and what you were doing prior to the loss of your job? Sounds good. Thanks, Peter. Hi, everyone. Good morning. Good afternoon. Um, so my name is Melanie Sanoe. I live here in Phoenix, Arizona now. Um, prior to this technological uh, fire hose, <laughs> Um, I was working at Verizon. I'd worked there for 15 years. I started as a customer service rep um, when I had handed in my resume on a piece of paper um, <laughs> way back in the day and um, had moved up through the ranks. And I was a process engineer um, when they went through some downsizing. And um, if you've ever heard of the term a RIF, so a reduction in force. Uh, and I was one of the lucky ones to get a very nice severance package and to take my walking papers and I go drink from that uh, water hose. <laughs> so, so before you, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, go on, Peter. I was going to ask you what a process engineer, in fact, is. Yeah, so um, uh, what I do is I uh, take a process or a policy or a transaction, and I look at um, what it's doing right now. I get to talk to customers and employees, and we try to fix it. Um, what, you know, what should it be doing? What isn't it doing? What do you want it to do? Um, and then we engineer a new process. So not nearly rocket science, but um, a very, very fun way to make a customer experience better. So you must work across like uh, departmental boundaries uh, to make this Absolutely. Work. Yeah, yeah. E everywhere. <laughs> yeah, I would imagine. And that's, that's a challenge because departments don't like being uh, 
uh, working across those boundaries sometimes. No, they don't. But when you can show them a business case where they'll make money, they tend to like you. <laughs> that makes sense to me. So, Melanie, thank you so much for um, for your brief intro. Um, John Robinson, welcome. Thanks for joining us. And why, I, why don't you speak a little about your background before you join uh, before you started your organization that you now you now lead? So I spent 16 years in television uh, as a sales you know young salesperson and then sales manager, and then ran a ran a department. So my career before starting our ability about 11 years ago was running running sales operations for television stations. So I had a good long career in understanding the sales process. Um, so go ahead. In the, well, in that, a lot of my clients started asking me to come speak to them publicly about overcoming obstacles. And so as a person with a disability, I'm a quadruple amputee. I'm three foot nine inches tall with limited arms and legs. And so, you know, the, the, those sales managers of, you know, of my clients would want me to sort of inspire uh, those sales forces, the speeches got bigger. And that, that led me to thinking about doing something more for our community. Uh, when I would meet other people with disabilities, obvious disabilities in corporate America, you know, the struggle was real for all of us in finding employment. So uh, that's, that's the genesis of the idea of starting our Ability Incorporated. So can you talk a little about your struggle? Um, uh, I, I, I've talked to you before. Um, how hard how hard was it to get your land your first job and how did you get your first job yeah i was um i graduated syracuse university in 1990 with a degree in television radio film from the newhouse school and when all my peers got jobs i didn't i was unemployed for about a four and a half year period now i took a lot of a lot of part-time jobs a lot of random jobs in between there but um I didn't get a job in, in the, the media industry that I wanted. So it was about a four year process, four and a half year process. Um, it was lots of interviews, <laughs> uh, many second interviews in person, going back to a TV station sales manager hearing no. So it was a, it was a real learning experience. And it's, it's, led, it's led me to what we're doing now, which is you know, helping to work to lower the unemployment rate for people with disabilities. And I, I, for those who don't know, that Syracuse that John went to has a fabulous um, program for media types, radio, TV. It's one of the best in the country. And it just uh, highlights some, sometimes how difficult it is for us blind folk to land jobs. Um, and we persevere many times and are successful, but it can be a lot harder. Exactly. Um, thank you. Thank you, John. So I'm now going to, uh, before I turn it back to Melody, so she can talk about her brush with AI. Um, here's the way the rest of the session I'm, I'm in, uh, hoping will run. So Melanie's going to talk about um, her experience with AI, and then John's going to talk about his experience with starting his organization and his website, and how he uses uh, AI to help uh, disabled folk uh, find jobs. And then I'm going to throw it open for for questions. Um, so if, if so, if anybody has questions between now and then, please raise your hand. And then once those questions are addressed or some of the questions are addressed depending on time and et cetera, I'm going to ask the, the panelists the following question and, and for you to think about it as well. Given what we've heard before, what should we as blind individuals be doing differently as a result of this artificial intelligence boost or hindrance, depending on how you look at it? 
And then what should organizations like the American Council of the Blind or other organizations that deal with employment disability be doing differently? So that's the way I hope this thing will run. I know things don't always work the way they're, they, they're supposed to, but that's what I'm hoping. So having said all that, uh, Melody, so you are looking for a new, you got laid off. You're looking for a new job. Talk about the process of getting the, your, your, your current job. Uh, absolutely. And I'm going to preface it a little bit. I thought about this last night. Um, I had gone through this once before um, in 2013 when they shut down our call center. Um, and I could either choose to leave and take severance or I could apply within the company. Well, at the same time that whenever they did that, they brought in a career coach, um, a career firm that would help us boost our resumes, help us start learning this, this new world because so many of us had sent in paper resumes. Well, I went through the classes, they talked about a little bit about artificial intelligence, how your resume has to have the right words um, for it to get past um, the, the bots that are looking at them, but there were still a lot of people involved in the process 10 years ago. Um, learned a little bit, but stayed with the company, so I didn't think about it. So then when this happened in 20, whatever last year was, 2022, um, we got the same company in and they did the same work, but now they're talking about LinkedIn and Indeed and all the bots that are out there. And, and now, it's, now it's hitting home because now I have to make my resume very different than my internal resume because I know people in Verizon were looking at it. I know who my hiring managers were and now it's a, a robot, right? That doesn't know me from Adam. Now that in itself can be a benefit. What my resume says is, is my picture, right? My proof of myself to go up against anybody else without them ever seeing me, without them ever knowing anything about a disability, unless I have volunteer experience on there, they, they don't know anything. So it's kind of, I think it's kind of nifty because it puts it into a kind of an equal playing field if, you're, if your words are up to par. So I say that to say, I was very strategic in my job search. Um, Luckily, I had severance, so I didn't have to get a job in two weeks. Like I, my mortgage was paid. It was fine. I could be very strategic with who I applied with, and I was. Um, but the biggest part of this process was getting that resume with the right words. And I wrote a new resume for every job because that bot is looking for those words, right? So when it came to my transferable skills, I would go through their job rec. I would go through my resume. Luckily, most of it was fine, but there was some tweaking because I had to be able to get the spotlight on those words. So then I send in my resume and now I get these automated emails. And one of them was an automated text message. And I'll go into that in a second um, saying, Hey, we'd like to set up a screening interview with you. Okay. Fantastic. One of them, very interesting was web-based and I had, um, I think 10 questions and I got to um, record an audio response. So, and what was interesting is you could record as many times as you wanted. You could mess up as many times as you wanted before you hit submit. Um, you had a 24 hour period to do it, but you got to actually um, interject your, you know, your emotion, your passion, my, my, um, my tone of voice, right? Into those questions. Clearly that's getting screened by somebody or something. <laughs> Then I had the ones that were type it all out, right? So, okay, so I 
had my canned responses. They, you know, they asked the same questions generally for the same position because that's what I was going after. Um, so that was kind of rudimentary. But again, I was still using the key words from their job recs. Um, and then the one that blew my mind the most was I get a text message and it says, hi, we'd like to set up a screening interview with you. Do you have a couple of minutes to um, text with us? And I'm going, oh my God, we're gonna text? So their few minutes was very ridiculous because it was about a 40 minute pre-screening interview and I type pretty fast. Um, but I did this whole pre-screening interview through text message which just never, never did I think that. I could see the typing, I could, you know, on a, on a platform, you know, on a web form, I could understand the audio, but I never thought I'd be sitting at my desk on my phone texting. But again, it's the same concept, right? It's making sure the words are right, because I guarantee you nobody is looking at these. And when you look at the responses from them, you know, after the second question that this was no person that was interacting with you. Um, so it's just a matter of making sure that whatever they've programmed, and, and clearly John's going to be able to talk about this much better than I can from the back end, but whatever they've programmed in is what you're trying. That's the puzzle, right? That's the game. You're trying to figure that out, and they're giving you that clue in the job rec. So it wasn't the text message one that I got. It was the um, the text-based form um, that was through Wells Fargo and I got an interview with them and that was a very standard Zoom interview. Um, both my boss and her boss were in uh, Minnesota and I'm here in Phoenix. So that was very, all of that was very normal. Um, and then the, the offer and all that, but yeah, I never thought I'd be screening via text message. It was just bizarre, but clearly that's where we're at. So I just want to reinforce something that you said, Melanie, I, to make sure I understand what she said. And that is, you didn't actually talk to a human until, until the, the first or second round of sort of bot interviews, right? Uh, uh, you know, it was only when you, uh, when you got through that process that you talked to your potential hiring manager uh, and, and her boss, right? Yep. Okay. And, and I and had um, another set of interviews with an insurance company, same thing. Until I heard from their HR manager to set up an interview, I didn't talk to anybody. And what was that like for you? You know, here you are, you, you've been, uh, you know, uh, you know, you got a job a long time ago, and now you're doing this weird stuff. What was that like for you? Um, it was just an interesting thing to navigate. I think because I've been in a virtual world, even pre-pandemic, um, it, was, it wasn't abnormal to be communicating in different avenues. Um, it was just wrapping your head around it just being different for a job, right? Sure. Because the last time I applied for a job, I handed in a piece of paper and I said, hi, please hire me. And they said, okay, let's interview you. And they did actually on the spot. Um, so it was just wrapping my head around that. It didn't phase me, but again, I wasn't, um, I wasn't, um, it wasn't new to me to be in this this different um, virtual environment. Okay, so we'll come back to you, Melanie, at some point, I'm sure soon, but I want to turn the floor to John. So John, you started this organization. So talk about the organization and uh, what you do and then how you incorporate artificial intelligence uh, in, in the work you do. Thanks, Peter. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's right in line with uh, 
with what Melanie is saying. So when I started thinking about leaving the media industry, I wanted to create a company that would be a mentor network to other people with disabilities. And I knew that if you, I could use my media experience, I could use my communications experience and my sales acumen. And originally we wanted to create sort of a Huffington Post the way it was 10 years ago for people with disabilities. It, what ended up happening though, was the people that we were mentoring asked us for jobs. It became very transactional. They didn't want mentors, they wanted jobs. And the, the, the companies that I would speak at around the country didn't want to give us mentors necessarily, they wanted a post job. So, um, and I'm oversimplifying it, but that's really what ended up happening. We became a, a conduit between a jobs board and, and accepting resumes. Um, and then what happened around four years ago, pre-COVID, we, we started thinking about, could there be a better way, right? Could there be a better way in matching resumes to positions? You know, for, for years, organizations like Vocational Rehabilitation have done a profoundly poor job at, at matching people to positions that, that people want. They don't do a poor job in the day-to-day assistance of people with disabilities, but they, they do have not traditionally matched well uh, candidates to jobs. So we started thinking about that process. And about that same time, Syracuse University came to us with some students to work on a project. So we had some free labor and we were going to start working with IBM Watson uh, because of a friend in this sort of algorithm idea that we had. And Syracuse came to us and really said, hey, have you thought about Microsoft? Well, we've got friends at Microsoft, so that was easy to make the switch from Watson to Microsoft Azure. Then we received a grant for Microsoft to begin the project. And so the project was, can we take artificial intelligence and do a better job in, in matching skills and interests, which is what we believe in first and foremost, and then education and work history, uh, but really skills and interests. To Melanie's point about rewriting the, the resume, if we do it well, you don't need to do that because we lean into who the person is first and match it to the position. So we start that process. COVID hits. We're, I'm not traveling around the world speaking anymore, um, sitting at my desk. And now we're a technology company, not meaning to be. So what we've done <clears throat> is um, about 12 months ago, launched Jobs Ability. So our company is our ability. The, the product is jobs ability jobs ability is an artificial intelligence system that takes into consideration people's interests skills past work history uh, and education and then on our jobs board we've got about seventy-five thousand jobs at any given moment and we are through our algorithm matching people to the jobs and you know again melanie mentioned she teed me up perfectly LinkedIn, indeed. But the truth is, they're not built for people with disabilities. And we know we can do a better job in, in the matching. On top of that, just here in the last six months, even after we were finished, we started rebuilding it because OpenAI, ChatGPT, the things that are going on right now are changing our speed. And so what took 45 minutes to build a profile uh, somewhere around August 1st or September 1st this year is going to take people eight minutes when they jump in. 
we're down to eight minutes to build a profile. And then, you know, also further, it's going to be then outreach through email, text, as Melanie said, um, and other ways to communicate what jobs are available and communicate further information from the candidate into the profile. We're really excited about how this is going. And, uh, you know, I get to see the beta test, so I get to see what it looks like internally. And I'm pretty excited about what this is going to become here in a couple of months. And I, I got to say, I'm using the term C. My my chief technology officer is blind. So it's we are built for all people with disabilities. And that really is important to me, regardless of the disability, because it, it, it needs to be that way uh, right from the right from the first build. So, John, I, I, I have two questions for you. I'll ask you the really hard question first. Uh, I hope you're awake enough to answer this question. It's uh, really hard. What is your web address? Ourability.com. O-U-R-A-B-I-L-I-T-Y.com. Okay. And then um, can you sort of talk about this from a potential one of your customers, a uh, somebody looking for a job? To talk about how the process would work, uh, you know, from the beginning to the end. Uh, you know, if I want to go to your site, what, what happens? Yep. You go to the site, you're going to look for the jobs ability link and jobs ability is the product that's going to take you to jobsability.com. You go there, you log in. Uh, when you log in, you're going to create, uh, you're going to sign up first. So you're going to create a, a password. Um, Microsoft or AWS is going to approve you. And then you're into the system. When you're in the system, then you're going to look for the button that says complete your profile. Um, when you do that, that's going to take you to uh, three tabs. First tab is going to be who you are and where you live and if you want to relocate or not. So knowing full well, a lot of people don't want to relocate. So we're, that makes us do the matching with jobs closer to you. The second bucket is is uh, background information. So our first question we ask is what what are you interested in what are your interests and we need we need full sentences we want to know exactly who you are so that we can understand people's interests because the truth is our interests may not be in line with our past work history so interests and skills are the first two major questions in the in the background then it's past education past credentialing and past work history and then the third bucket is a skill assessment and so we walk people through a skill assessment. Um, when you're done with all of that, then you go back to your dashboard and all of a sudden magically on your dashboard, or you're going to start seeing the jobs from our public jobs board being matched to you. And so that's, that's the system as it exists today. Uh, come September one, when you log in, we're going to give you the option immediately to upload a resume or a PDF of your LinkedIn profile. You'll do that. And then we're going to ask you eight questions. That's it. Eight questions. You answer the eight questions either right off the bat or over time uh, through our text correspondence or email correspondence with you. And again, you'll have a dashboard and your jobs will, will start matching instantly. So it's really, really key to give us the information, but we're trying to simplify how you give us the information and shorten the period of time so that we can do the matching for you. And then on the other side, you mentioned clients, Peter. You know, the other client we have are businesses, right? We're, right. we're, only, we're only paid by the company. Uh, it's free to the um, individuals with disabilities to use. And so the company 
understands that the simpler it is for people to come in, the more candidates that will come in and then go off and apply to their position. So we're pretty excited about this process. That uh, that really does 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 sound terrific. Uh, and um, have you, by any chance, had blind folks use that site yet? I mean, you know, complete the process, folks who are yeah. visually impaired. Well, that's and- what that's why I say that because with 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 Kartik being our, our technology officer, uh, we certainly are well versed um, in, in the blind community. But so- my question was, uh, my question I was trying to ask is, have you had a blind person go up to who's you know who's not Kartik? Yeah go through the process oh yeah yeah okay. absolutely yep 100 okay and it, and it worked and it worked great i actually have been wanting to do this for months and haven't had a chance but i guess the moment is coming for me to be <laughs> doing it as well uh melody do you have any questions for john where were you in august i realized you were there <laughs> where were you? because these were the questions i was asking to your point i went to Vogue rehab and they're like hi we can get you into customer service i'm like oh no no i have paid my dues like i I'm not looking for, you know, I don't mind walking in the front door and having to start down at the bottom, but, you know, they weren't matching it to what I do. Um, And then the flip side to that also was then I also wanted to work for companies that were, um, their their culture was to be open um, to true diversity and disabilities, not just on paper and because they legally have to. And these were the questions I was asking that um, I eventually got some answers, but it was very hard to get answers to say, who are the right, who's the company I want to work for? I know my job, I can do anywhere, but I want to work in the right culture. Um, so trust and believe I'm going <laughs> to spread your website because that's exactly what would have, I think, calmed me down in the very beginning. Um, well- Melanie, we are completely word of mouth. So we have a, a staff of uh, five of us, you know, two of us work on the business development side, two of us work on the disability development side. Uh, but we, we, we really rely on, you know, you and me sharing the word, right? So uh, I'm not surprised that, that this is needed by any stretch of the imagination. We've certainly yeah. heard stories from, uh, from the disability community that it is needed, but but with our with our economics, we can't afford a major, you know, major campaign, right? So we have to rely on word of mouth. So we uh, will take any time that you share our our URL <laughs> with people. We appreciate it. John, do you have a success rate? Like, do you have any metrics on that? So that's a great question, and this is one that comes up quite a bit. Much like LinkedIn, indeed, unless we're tied into applicant tracking systems, we won't know the outcome. Right. So because because of privacy laws in North America and the United Kingdom, we have to follow the LinkedIn security model. So we don't we can't actually legally tie into an ATS unless we're given permission to do so. So we don't know the outcomes. The only way we will know the outcome is if it's anecdotal back to us. Right. I will tell you that what our what we do watch are the metrics of the unique users that come to our websites every month, which has gone up every month. Last year was the first month that we went over 10,000 unique users to our front URL. We've got about 10,000 email addresses of people with disabilities looking for employment. And then our full profiles, people that have spent the 45 minutes to build the profiles, about 3,200. But as I mentioned before, as we're changing our system come September 1st, that 45 minutes becomes eight minutes, those 
3,000 are going to become 30,000 because it takes so much less time. So we're in this we're in this process of trying to speed up because business needs us to speed up. All right. If anybody um, wants to raise their hand, um, please do so. We would like to take questions from the audience. All right. Carrie Muse. Hi. And hi, John Robinson. I am so glad that you were able to be part of this Um I'm the one that originally met John through a speaking engagement. His story is amazing. Um, so I, you know, I know we had done a, a recording, a podcast, the employment committee did um, talking to John. Um, but I guess um, <clears throat> one of my questions for you, John, is during this whole process, did you struggle with um parts of your disability with creating your business and all that stuff did you have challenges that came up for you yeah carrie it's great to hear you thank you carrie the, we we certainly struggled uh there's there's just no doubt about it uh you know i'm a i'm a i'm three foot nine uh quad amputee i i look different right and so um, while I would like to tell you that that would not have an impact on my early career, it did because I was unemployed for so long, you know, it also has had an impact on raising money. Um, and so, uh, you know, some competitors out there in the disability space get venture capital funding because quite frankly, they look able-bodied um, and we don't, right? And so we've we've had to think about bootstrapping this differently than than maybe some competitors would. And if if you know if we're paying attention to the business economy right now, there's a lot of angel investment, VC investment in artificial intelligence, right? And so we've got a story to tell. Uh, but but we've realized we might be smarter and more proficient if we rely on sales and marketing first, and not go for venture capital uh, like others have. So whether that's just disability or not, no way. There's really no way to tell. But but the truth is that, you know, being disabled has made an impact on us. Now, here's the positive. It's also made an impact on us because, you know, the, we have the lived experience. You know, my staff, three of my staff are have the lived experience of being being disabled. And that's a good thing. It's a good thing because we understand where. Where people are coming from, we understand the the emotion and the pain of being unemployed. We un understand the the how important success can be, and that's that's what we have to strive for. So, it it's it's not just a negative. Uh, being disabled is is definitely a positive as a business owner because of you know because of the perseverance that that we've all had to show, and and that's something that we lean into. You know, as a as a former sales manager, I always used to say, you know. You need to build upon your strengths, right? A lot of a lot of bad sales managers will tell people to work on their weaknesses and build up their weaknesses to become stronger. That's fine, but you don't have we don't have time in business to do that. What you can do is build upon your strengths, and if you build upon your strengths, then then use those to your advantages. I think people with disabilities are prime examples of that, and and we, you know, running our ability, uh, try to show that as. Awesome. Thank you. And my other question real quick is you've mentioned 75,000 jobs. What percentage of those offer remote work? 
more and more. Uh, <laughs> so Pre-COVID, the word remote was was a bad word. Uh, companies wanted people going into the office, me included as a business owner. And and once COVID hit, you know, people aren't coming into my office. And, and actually, productivity has gone up. Uh, people's interest in work has gone up. And I've seen it firsthand. I think what we've what we've always preached to companies pre and post COVID, you know, uh, work on your accommodations with the disability community. I think the truth is remote hybrid work is really good for a lot of people. And we see more and more of that. As a matter of fact, in our algorithm, um, in our recommended jobs here, September 1st, we're going to be, we're going to be showing remote jobs exclusively, right? So that people that need to work remote uh, or want to work remote can do that. Awesome. Thank you. Because that is a big issue with people with visual impairments. We don't drive. So a huge transportation conundrum. <laughs> so thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank you, Carrie. So Ellen. Okay. Um, now you mentioned that you your business um, links up with things like, you know, gets the job listings from things like Indeed and LinkedIn and stuff. Do you have um, any other ways that you connect up with maybe some of the smaller companies that don't advertise on every big, big name bu bulletin board, you know, the mom and pops. Well, so th this is Sue Ellen, this is what, what we do, right? So we are paid only by companies. So it's free to you. It's free to the state. It's free to disability service providers, but we do charge every business to post jobs. So that will weed out some businesses that, that cannot afford it. But I will tell you, when small businesses reach out to us and want to post jobs, we'll do our best to find an economic an economic solution to that. So, okay. because it's the only way we don't we don't have government grants. We don't we're not a nonprofit. We don't have you know uh, big big endowment. Right, we're we're paid by the company, and so right only jobs that are there by the companies that will that will support us. Yeah, yeah. Just because I know some people they do better in the smaller mom and pop culture. There and I are, just, I'm looking for other yeah. ways to find out about things like that. There are, we do have a handful of really small companies that we work with. Um, and, but, but in most cases they're, they're mid to larger size companies. Okay. I'm excited about the remote, the access to more remote jobs that I do agree would be a great advantage for, especially blind people, transportation being what it is in most areas. Yeah. And, and Sue Ellen, one other thing I would ask you, and it's good, it's a good reminder for everybody on the call. Uh, ourability.com is our, is our website, but then at the top in the masthead, there is a news section, uh, which is, you know, for lack of a better term, it's our blog, but in the news section on a regular basis, we will post one-off jobs if they're emailed to us. So if a, oh, if cool. a company, if a small company wants one job out there, um, instead of putting it into the algorithm, which would take us two hours of coding, we'll just throw it up on our blog post. So, you know, you really want to watch two things. You want to watch our public jobs board, but then you also want to watch the news section uh, on ourability.com. Oh, awesome. Awesome. Thank you, Sue. Thank you, Sue. Ellen. First thing I, I wanted to say was to reinforce something that John and I think Melanie have both said in, in their ways is the whole issue of focusing on strengths to me is a really important matter. Um, 
you know, we're, we're, we're to the extent that we can focus on those strengths and encourage others to do the same, we're going to be more effective in the long run. It doesn't mean we should ignore weaknesses, but the whole strengths thing is a, is a really big deal. Uh, and I've learned over time that that really does make a difference um, to, to do that. Okay. Um, so we, we sort of learned from Melanie and um, John, this whole idea of how they're using artificial intelligence. And when I heard Melanie's story, um, I, whenever it was, probably uh, six months ago or something like that, or maybe a little longer, I was like, this is like totally weird and wonderful and strange and bizarre. And what do we do about this? And uh, so what I would like um, Melanie and John to sort of have a conversation about and, and, and other people as well um, is, okay, this is coming. It's coming quickly. We all know about chat, GBT, and all that stuff. This, this stuff is coming quickly. And I fear uh, what uh, has happened in the past, which is these technology things happen. And we are we in the disability community and the blindness community, and whether it be ACB or uh, whatever it is, uh, voc rehab or other things, are, are caught flat-footed. And we're so far behind the curve that it's really difficult for us to catch up. So my question for either one of you to address or have a conversation about uh, panelists are, what should we as individuals looking for jobs be doing to, to get ready for this, you know, to address this change? You know, this, you know, I live in Missouri. Uh, the University of Missouri is not doing this yet, but I'm sure they will. I'm sure it's coming. Um, what should we be doing differently than we are now? And what should we be doing the same? So let's start with that question, then we'll focus more on the systemic issue. So. Who would like to address that question? What, what should we as individuals be doing differently and, and uh, when it comes to job searching stuff? Something that I've seen, and I think it's, it's you know, I think we've all heard, um, well, I didn't get the job because I'm blind. Okay, I'm not saying that that doesn't happen. But sometimes it's because we are not well-rounded. And sometimes it's because we don't know our technology. We don't know, we don't, we, we don't know how to interview well, but we think it's, but we don't realize we don't know how to interview well. So what I'm getting at is all of this is, is on my computer. It's on my phone. We have got to be up on our technology. We have to be up on our jaws. We have to be up on our NVDA. We have to be up on our Zoom text. We have to know our technology because we may say their site isn't accessible, but it may be. It may be our knowledge gap. So we have to be able to walk in completely confident that we know what we're doing before we say, oh, it's not accessible, and then go down that road with them. I'm not saying that it's not, right? It, we've all seen it happen. But you, I think every one of us has to be so confident in our skills that that is out of the equation. Um, because this isn't a phone call anymore. It's not talking to a person anymore. So John, I don't know how you feel about that, but that's just that thing I've noticed is like, we've got to take that out of the equation. I, I completely agree. I think all too often we hear people give up at the first, at, at the first roadblock. Um, and, and it is, it's too bad. So example, again, we're, we're coded in part by, by someone who's blind. Um, and when we were doing our first round of accessibility testing on our own product, we had, I purposefully went to three other individuals who were blind 
and there was an age difference between the three and the one that was of an older age really struggled i think that's i think that's human nature i mean i'm 55 i'm going to struggle with technology compared to my 25 year old but but to your point if you're in the marketplace and you if you want opportunity you have to understand that the hiring managers and and the, the probably your your direct manager are going to be more well versed in the technology you use so to your point, Melanie, we, we do need to embrace all systems. We need to embrace technology, use it to our advantage. I would I would have told you our greater community of people with disabilities are better equipped because we've lived in a technology world in most cases rather than a physical world. Twitter, Twitter, what used to be the number one accessible place on the planet because it was 180 characters as an entry point. Um, and you don't have to drive somewhere, right? So it's it's my opinion that that we do have to embrace the technology. We need to use it as a strength. We we need just like life. We need to also continue to teach ourselves if there are perceived road roadblocks in front, um, so that we get opportunity. Um, and and the final thing is when we do that then we also improve our, our problem-solving skills. And I'm, I'm a firm believer and preacher that people with disabilities are a number one problem solvers because we've lived in an able-bodied world. And that's marketable. That's marketable to companies. And we need to say that out loud so that the, the companies understand, hey, we come from a point of view that we will figure out a solution to a problem because we've had to our whole lives. So I'm going to... Good, Can I step in real yeah, quick? Yeah, please. I'm so yeah. glad you said perseverance too, because this is a marathon. This is not a sprint. <laughs> if you are lucky enough, and they, they told us that from day one, if you're lucky enough to get that first job, that's lucky. But you have so many people going after these jobs. Don't give up. Oh yeah. my God, don't give up because you're. It, it is a marathon and you'll eventually get to the end of it. Um, it took me... Luckily, it took me only three months. Um, that was very lucky. Um, but I think we have to remember, like we have to be resilient, 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 and bounce back and don't get discouraged because it's just, it, it doesn't happen overnight very often. So I'm really glad you said that. Well, and, and Melanie, that makes me think of another thing. And that is we should expect more from ourselves. Um, you know, we're, we're built into a society that wants us to be on social security benefits, wants to keep us impoverished. And, and that's not what we should want from ourselves. And so perseverance goes hand in hand with, with higher dreams. Let's, let's expect more from ourselves, push ourselves, fail so that we can succeed. And, and we, we should demand that from our own community. Uh, myself, but also other people with disabilities that are around me, expect more from yourself, bet on yourself. And, and if we do that collectively as a group of people with disabilities, we will we'll break down some of those impoverished barriers that, that are, are keeping us in place, which are unfortunate. So I would like to say a couple of things that your comments have spurred in me. Um, so we, 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 we often talk in either or thinking, you know, I didn't get the job because I was blind. No, I didn't get the job because I wasn't qualified. And my experience is often a both and, 
right? It's it's not one or the other. It's sort of a combination of both. And um, I think it for me, it helps me to sort of, <clears throat> that helps me realize that it's not one or the other, you know, it, you know, we, we, you can, we can improve and overcome that discrimination that really does exist. Uh, the other thing I, I wanted you folks to react to it, it is absolutely true that we should expect more of ourselves. Uh, I, I get that. And I think that's true. Ellie, are you, are you there? I am here. Yay! Awesome. <laughs> Speaking of technology, technologically yeah. challenged. Yeah. Uh, first of all, it's been wonderful to hear from both of you. It's it's very inspiring. Um, I love what Melanie just said before about getting yourself up and ready for technology. Um, I was sighted and in the business world for 35 years and then lost my sight and then spent about six months getting up to speed as a blind person with technology. Um, so I really appreciated that she said that. And it is, it, it makes you really think, you know, how much do you need to know? So my question is actually for you, John. Um, it sounds like September is really going to be when the system is up and running and it'll be eight minutes instead of, you know, 45 minutes as far as inputting data. Is there an opportunity to do a test run with you as an applicant to make sure that I would be ready to go and actually, like if there's a job that comes up that I'm super interested in, I would want to feel confident that I know how to navigate your system before you know, actually applying and going through that job process. Yeah. Is that a possibility? hundred percent. So Kelly, I'm glad you said that. So I mentioned on our staff, we've got business development, but we also have disability development. The woman on my staff is named Mary Beth Schneider. Mary Beth's role is to, is to work with groups of people with disabilities at colleges, disability service providers, state agencies, but also one-on-one -on -one with individuals. What I would urge you to do is if you will email us, I'll introduce you to Mary Beth. Have, have her help you go through the existing system today, the 45-minute the system. Okay. And then when we transfer over, your information will go over automatically, and then you'll be able to use the new system as well. But then what Mary Beth can do, and this is available to anybody on the, on the webinar, what Mary Beth can work with you on the types of positions that are out there with our corporate partners, and, and even... To the point, we may be able to do some back-end work with those corporate partners if you're going to apply. So, first step, let's let's anybody that's interested on the call that wants to work with with Mary Beth, um, she's not a, a job developer per se, although she's had 30 years in the disability world, but she does know how to navigate our system and will look out for you with the job postings that are out there. So we'll schedule that. And then when the new system's up in place, you already be in there and, and ready to go. That's amazing. Thank you. And will you be, uh, what would be the actual email address? So it, it, either two of them, either john.robinson at ourability.com or just okay. info, it, it just do info at ourability.com. Great. Thank you so much. So uh, just to re uh, reinforce that, uh, in, uh, info at ourability.com or john.robinson at ourability.com. And thank you, John, for that offer. I think, you, I think you'll be getting some takes on that one. Um, 
the other thing I, I did want to say uh, is we should expect more of ourselves, but working alone is kind of sometimes hard for that to do. And so the question I sort of have for us to sort of reflect on is how can we um, support each other better to expect more from each other? You, you get the question I'm asking, right? What can we do to sort of encourage us to each other to, to, to take that leap of faith that, uh, that there are possibilities out there that we, that we, that we want, but aren't quite reaching yet. Yeah. I think we do need to look out for one another and we do need to, we do need to support and push one another. Um, and I don't mean negatively, I mean, positively, uh, you know, we, here's, here's sort of my thinking in my, my mid fifties, Peter, yeah. we are, we're advocates for the next generation. You know, the, the, the story of disability studies as a, as a, a studied uh, education really comes back to storytelling. Um, you, know, you can study history and you can read books, you can study mathematics and solve equations, but if you're studying disability studies, you're, you're, you're listening and telling stories. And, and it has to be that way because my story is going to be a little bit different than, than yours, than Melanie's, et cetera. But it's in that collected learned experience that we will begin to understand and empathize and solve problems. And so I think what we can do with each other is, is assist and support. You know, we're really proud to build a product or products for people with disabilities as people with disabilities. Uh, we know it's got ramifications beyond the disability world, but it's really important that it is that right now. Um, I think it's it's if you're disabled and listening, it's it's equally your responsibility to do the best you can to lift up the the person that comes behind you. It's it's that's how we're going to be successful. You know, for all too long, for all too long, the disability community has been fragmented. Um, I think it's been to the benefit of some to fragment it, but, but the truth is we can help each other and we should. And um, now that I'm middle-aged, some of my best friends are, are the people with disabilities that we work and know, and that's, I'm really proud of that. Any, any uh, reaction or thoughts, Melanie? I think it's a combination of that. I mean, uh, Peter, you know this. My my bachelor's is in journalism. Like storytelling, John, yes, hundred um, percent. But I think it's also being okay taking a risk. Like what what's what's the downfall of you applying for something that's out of your wheelhouse? It's just another experience. But I think you know it's funny. I, I haven't thought about this in a really long time. When I was young, like fourth fifth grade, I had moved to Texas, and we had a summer program. This was early 90s um and we every week got to talk to someone in a different a blind individual in a different um career field and so much like what the employment committee's podcast does we have this conversation about what jobs are people doing and you go oh my god I can do that and I think there's some of that stigma still that's around that's well I can't be I don't know Maybe not a rocket scientist. No, I could be a rocket scientist. But 10 years ago, could I be a rocket scientist? And so I think it's also part of that exploration and, and hearing what people do for a living or what people have done for a living. Um, 
I um I uh, I see Cheryl on here, and um I learned a whole lot about Cheryl's um past endeavors um employment wise and went oh my god I could do that I didn't even think about it and then it's just taking the risk like it's really saying well what's the worst that could happen what is the worst that could happen you're not any further down the road than you were but you have now another experience so I think a lot of it is trying to get out of our our headspace right get out of that that negative self-talk um as well as learning well, yeah, I can do that. Or taking something you want to do and figuring out how to do it to your problem solving point. We're absolutely the best problem solvers. So figure out how to do it and then go sell yourself. And that's the hard part, I think. Um, but if we can get out of that headspace um, and, and hear what people are doing and say, yeah, let me go try that because I'm not going to be any worse off than I am today. And if I get it, then I'm even better. Melly, I wanted to, I wanted to stress something you said a, a while in this seminar, and and ask you to sort of talk about how you did this. You talked about having to um, uh, adjust your resume for every job that you uh, applied for, and I get the logic, you know, the the keywords and everything else. Um, but this is sort of a new this is a, a new thing for those of us, you know, we would just send the same resume to jobs, and it it seemed to work. This is no longer the case. Talk about how you, when you looked at the job, how you, um, uh, you know, adjusted your resume. What was your thought process in, in, in you know, in, in redoing your resume for each job you applied for? Yeah. So let me, let me say also, I didn't completely rewrite it. Mm -hmm. So the core of what I do, those skills, those action verbs are absolutely what my job requires. Um, so a lot of that didn't change. But what I did do is I went into that job rack and I said, okay, what are the verbs they want me? Like, what do they want me to know? They want me to know how to project manage. They want me to know specific software. They want me to, you know, what specifically are they looking for? And then I'd go back into my resume and I go, okay, can I tit for tat? That bullet point to something in here, that bullet point to something in here. And most of them I could. And if there was something I couldn't, because A, I didn't know that software, I'd find something equivalent to it. So we do what's called journey mapping. There's Miro, there's iGraphics, there's Visio. There's well, well, some people wanted Visio. Well, I don't have Visio, but I have iGraphics, and I would point that out that it is, it is journey mapping software. It is process software. So it's those kind of little tweaks, and then it was again anything that wasn't addressed, um, which again most of it was. But I'd be like, okay, let me tweak it for their language. So Wells Fargo is a bank, right? It's a financial institution. I worked for a telecom company. Talk about two different worlds. Yeah. So it was adjusting some of the language, but again, it was not, um, it was not the bulk of it because my job is my job. Now I did apply for some project manager positions, which are a little different. So I did make some bigger tweaks to that, but the skill set is still the same. It's still communication. It's still, um, it's still organization. It is still the same core tenants to be able to project to be able to manage a project as it is to do what I do, but it's just aligning it so that they, um, so that they match. But again, I didn't rewrite the whole thing. It was very much mostly done, but it was just making sure that, that they matched enough um, for what I was going after and for the company I was going after. Did you move things around? In other words, you know, if, if they're looking for a skill set that, um, that uh, some skills that you had in a prior job, 
that you might have put uh, that wart in another job, and so you put you, you would put that at the bottom, and maybe you move it up a little bit in the and so people would see it quicker. You understand the question? Uh, no, I didn't change anything. Okay, because okay. It, because again, mostly what I was what I was going after were was the same priority level. Sure, sure. Uh, for for some of us who have done a variety of different kinds of things uh, or over a, a period of, of time, the, uh, that might be more relevant. You know, that there, there are things that, that aren't on page one of your resume uh, that are on page two uh, that you might want to move up to page one because people will see it faster uh, or the bot will see it faster or somebody will see it faster. Or I guess it doesn't matter so much for the bot, right? It might matter for the, for the, for the person, look, you know, the human looking at your resume. Maybe well, it I think it goes. I think it goes too also for what you're applying for. So mm -hmm. if I was if I was going back to customer service, back into um, complaints, I would absolutely move things around mm -hmm. um, because I have that history and I have very good history. But the reason that was on my resume now was because it's people skills, it's communication, sure. not because it was negotiation and you know all that rigmarole. Um, so I think my difference is I was applying for the same kind of jobs. And that, that makes a lot of sense to me. John, do you have any reaction to any of this, you know, from, from your end as somebody trying to link people with jobs? Yeah, see, that's exactly why we, we wanted to build the system we built, because we shouldn't have to adjust our resume around. What we should be able to do is talk about the skills and, and interests that we have and update that, right? Your, your resume should be everything you've done. I think we, you know, we grew up in a time where your resume is one page. So you mm -hmm. end up moving things around and moving stuff to the top and, and then there are gaps in your resume and, and, and it becomes, it becomes problematic, right? Your, your, your work history should be your work history, but it's your skills and interests that grow over time. And that's what should be changed, right? And so that's why we focus so hard on, on what we're doing. Uh, we will always tweak and re-ask and readdress the eight questions that come out through text or through email so that we get new information from Melanie. As, as Melanie evolves over time, we want to get updated on that to update the profile, but the work history should be the work history. That's really important to us because we've seen that. Melanie's not alone. We've seen that with most of the people we've helped. They have one, two, or three versions of their resume. They're not lying on their resume. They're just adjusting it. Well, that shouldn't be the case it's other things that we what, that we're trying to do, which is bring different skills to the forefront so that we become marketable. So I think we have about ten minutes or so, according to my trusty uh, iPhone, and so I'd like to spend that time a addressing any hands that are raised. I'd like to sort of move to sort of a systemic thing more than an individual thing. What should organizations be doing? Uh, organizations that support the whole issue of, of, of getting people hired and careers and people with disabilities. And, you know, I'm thinking specifically for blind folks, but it doesn't necessarily have to be just blind people. Uh, you know, what should uh, disability service offices on college campuses be doing? What should Voc Rehab be doing? What should uh, American Council of the Blind be doing differently given these changes that are coming quickly? What, what should we be doing differently as, as organizations, not as individuals, but as organizations? I, I, my, this is, this is such a great question, Peter. We have to be forward thinking and, and we work with a lot of voc rehab state offices. We work with a lot of college disability and career centers. 
it's those that want to explore doing things differently, uh, breaking the norms of the past. Those are the ones that will be successful. And quite frankly, those are the ones that if you're a person with a disability, you should be working with. Because the existing systems as set in place are not built, as I had said before, are not built for our success. They are built for, uh, you know, fulfilling a federal need. That's not your need. Um, you know, in, in a lot of cases, disability offices on college campuses are set up because past students with disabilities had problems and they felt they had to do it. They're not there necessarily in place in some cases for success post-school. Same with VR, right? So what we urge to those entities is think differently because the younger generation that you're working with are already thinking differently, especially with technology. Think differently as a way to place, as a way to em embrace, as a way to empower so that we can put the best skills out front in the marketplace. That is huge. And you know we're we're noticing those that are doing it, and we're noticing those that are not doing it. One specific example: um, there is a, a state in the South that we we're working with that has come to us and said we have a technology technological problem that is becoming a bottleneck to success. And we made some suggestions to them, and there will be a solution through technology for that bottleneck. That's a great question, right? They're not saying everything's perfect. They're saying they've got a problem and if they could fix it, they can help so many more people. That's that's wonderful. And they're embracing technology to do it and, and it will be fixed. So we're looking for we're looking for agencies and universities and high school transition programs, disability service providers to be proactive, utilizing technology to empower. That's what we would suggest. Tyson, go ahead. All right. So, so uh, I have a comment uh, as well as a question for the for the panelists. Um, so the comment is uh, has to do with uh, I agree, Melanie, hundred percent. You've got to know your technology. Um, you have to understand how the technology works across multiple platforms. Every website is not created equally. So understanding how to use different cursors in JAWS or NVDA and such like that. Uh, and then secondly, it's progressing with that every time there's something new, understanding how to use AI and, and chat GPT and that kind of thing to, to do that. Um, for me personally, I, I was one that I adjusted my resume to everything. And I adjusted the above the fold portion of it to really spoon feed the person looking at that resume what they wanted to hear. If they wanted five years of experience, this I tell them, I, I can show you six years of experience of it. Um, and that's what I found out. It was, was, it's not about what I want to tell them. It's about what they want to hear. Um, that's my comment towards that. Um, but the second thing, is, the question I have for you is, and of course, we're trying to get past the AI barrier um, and the bots of who are filtering out based upon keyword counts and such like that. But what it, where do you all stand within the within the personal connection? And I'll I'll give you my very very brief story. Is uh, I had applied for the job that I currently hold as assistive technology instructor at Lighthouse of Central Florida. I applied for that three weeks uh, prior to this, where I realized on LinkedIn I had a connection to somebody in their AI department or in their HR department, and I reached out and said, Hey, I put my resume in my application three weeks ago. Could you take a look at it? And if you feel I'm the right person for that job, put it in the right person's hands. 
I got an email two days later from the, from the director of HR that said, we'd love to interview you. So it came down to, to, to kind of bypassing the AI, as it were, um, that, was let it, that was sitting on that resume for three weeks that may have set for who knows how long until I really reached out on that networking scale. So what are, you, what are your opinions on that aspect of it? And thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, Tyson, I'm just going to quickly, we're a technology company. We, we work with businesses as a bridge to people with disabilities, right? Um, so that's what we do. But I will tell you, you are 100% correct that the, the personal story, the personal connection supersedes everything else. But there's no way you can know all 71 companies that we do, right? Correct. Utilize us as the personal connection after you've gone through the technology. And, and I would say that with anybody, right? And, if, and on that note, John, I would love to connect with you on LinkedIn. <laughs> yeah, and that's what, that was my exact point, right? I've got 3,000 connections in LinkedIn, but if I were looking for a career change, I would go to people that I know that are on LinkedIn who know somebody to do that, right? And so use our ability, use Jobs' ability for, for the technology, for the placement, for for the connectivity, and then use us for the personal connection off to the side or anybody else, right? That's that's huge. I think Tyson and, you, and John make a really good point. The whole personal connection, you, you know, you, you it's it may be even be more important now than it was before in a sort of perverse kind of way because fewer people are actually looking at resumes it's all they're they're trusting the ai folks and the bots to do it for them and these the the way the system is 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 programmed is not perfect and so some talent is going to be missed and so making those contacts it's, it's got to be important maybe even more important than it used to be and it's funny you say that peter because i'm i used to be a huge proponent and i'm very mixed feelings on it after my experience <laughs> So say more so, about that. I will say internally, connections did everything for me when it came to different positions within Verizon. Uh, I mean, to the point where one of my future team members said, hey, the job's open. I already told my boss you're applying for it. Go. Okay. Uh, absolutely. Internally, a thousand percent. And I thought externally it would be too. So I, the first thing I did when I when I got the news was I called everybody I knew that I either wanted to work with or that I knew was working for a company that I would want to work with, or that I just needed like sage advice, right? I just need you to tell me I'm doing the right thing. It's okay. Um, and I got a lot of referrals. Yep. Go talk to Grant. He's with Amazon. That's good. Go talk to so-and-so. She's with PayPal. Go talk to, go talk to. Um, to the point where I talked to one of my old coworkers and, she, and, you know, a lot of these companies have referral programs. So even the employee can get potentially a referral bonus, or there's a backdoor into HR from them being an employee. Um, and one of them sent me specific links that were developed because she was an employee. And I got the so sad, no screening, no nothing. And her resume looked just like my resume. We followed each other through Verizon. Um, so from a job perspective, it didn't help me, but what it did was it gave me more experience, look, you know, applying for different jobs, going through different processes, talking to different people about their experiences. And where I did see a little bit of help was on the very smaller business scale. So because I talked to, uh, and I'm not going to go through the scale, right, but I talked to somebody who knew somebody who knew somebody, I started talking to this um, UX design company up in Seattle 
um, which is, is user experience design. Um, she has a very small company. She prefers to hire people with disabilities and I've made a connection with her now. She didn't have a position at the time, but she said, let's keep in touch. And now I have a very good um, um, professional connection now, potentially you know, down the line, who knows? Um, so I, I was really expecting to get something out of the people I knew and, and that those chains. And I was kind of surprised that I didn't. Um, but they absolutely helped internally, like no question asked. Yeah, that's that's an interesting. You know, you know, I don't know what I, you know. I know that if you read the the business press stuff, they talk about the power of networking, and it's got to be. They important do. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. They say I think it's eighty percent. I think yeah, it's eighty like percent of jobs yeah. that are acquired are because of who you know. Yeah. And I was in the twenty. <laughs> And I've been to it a lot of times too. Um, I want to, we are wrapped. I think we are just about out of time. So um, uh, Melanie and John, thank you so much. I've, this has been fabulous from my perspective. I hope um, uh, John, you get lots of referrals uh, from, from folks um, from ACB. And one of them you'll get is me because I'm going to get my act together and start doing what I need to do. Thank you, uh, John. Thank you, Melanie. Thank you, Travis, for uh, dealing with our uh, chaos. Thank you for all of you for listening. I hope this has been of some value. Uh, please, um, uh, if you want to uh, check out the Employment Committee, you can do it through the ACB website. Go to acb.org, click on Committees, and then you will find the Employment Committee. And one of the things that's on the Employment Committee is our podcasts, which we've been doing for the past, I don't know, almost two years now. And you'll get a whole bunch of interviews, half an hour of people with different uh, perspectives. Our plan for the future is to get more employers who are interested in uh, hiring us. Uh, we interviewed John recently. That should That's on there. Uh, was, I, from my perspective, it was a great interview. Uh, and that, uh, again, we thank ACV Media, ACV Media for, uh, for, 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 uh, for playing them, broadcasting them. So uh, we hope we'll be doing a lot more stuff in the Employment Committee. And so Keep keep us in your in your consciousness. Thank you all for attending.